You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. You're listening to MLB.com Extras, brought to you by MLB.tv. It's baseball everywhere. Welcome to MLB.com Extras Astros Edition. MLB.com's Mark Feinsand sat down with Astros General Manager Jeff Lunau to discuss high expectations surrounding the team this season, the latest trends in baseball information, and how awkward it was to switch suites in the middle of the winter meetings when he was hired by Houston. Here's Mark. So you don't have a very traditional baseball background. <laughs> uh, at what point in your life did you first think about a career in baseball? When I was an undergraduate in college, uh, I thought, wouldn't it be interesting to work, work in sports and specifically baseball? Uh, I wrote one letter to uh, Peter O'Malley because he had gone to the same university that I was attending and never heard back, and I didn't really expect to hear back. But I figured getting into baseball was something that you needed to know somebody and kind of be at the right place at the right time. So I, I put it aside and didn't give it another thought, really, until... Uh, the summer of 2003 when I came into contact with uh, Bill DeWitt and his family and we started talking about a potential arrangement where I could come help them out and that changed everything for me. How did you land your first job in baseball? How did that all come about? Uh, Bill DeWitt reached out to me. He was looking for somebody with a business and technology background to complement the people he had in the front office and I had met uh, some people that knew him and one of his family members, and they recommended me. Uh, I clearly, throughout my life, I've always had a passion for baseball and an interest in it and knew a lot about players and the business side of it and all of that, but I really never thought I'd work in the industry. And then met Bill and had a few conversations, and uh, he asked me to come on board, and I accepted. Under your guidance, the Cardinals built their system into one of the strongest in the game. What are you most proud of from your time in St. Louis? The 2011 World Series, followed by the, um, the the continued success after I left there in 12 and 13 and 14 with a lot of the young players that had been drafted and developed through the programs that I was overseeing during my time there. It's really satisfying to see a player as an amateur, believe in that player, select him in the draft, uh, watch him and help him develop through the minor leagues, watch him get to the big leagues, and then ultimately... Uh, watch those players celebrate on the field after a, a championship. There's nothing more satisfying. We we all want to win. Uh, St. Louis did a lot of winning while I was there and continued to win after I left. And to feel like you contributed in some some way to that championship is, is really one of the most satisfying parts of our jobs. When you think back to that championship run in 2011, what, what one or two memories stand out the most? Clearly, game six against the <laughs> Rangers. I You know, I was... Uh, like everybody thinking, okay, well, this was a great season. It's not going to end the way we want it to. Uh, but then for, for us to get uh, – and, and really, um, that had started in the series against Philadelphia, the five-game series, where we weren't really expected to win that series. And we were facing, you know, Hamels and uh, Lee and, and some pretty good pitchers on their side. And uh, we managed to get through that. I think it was a one nothing game in game five. And um, – and then survived Milwaukee, and then really Texas um, felt like we had a chance, but uh, by game six, it felt like it was slipping away. And then watching that comeback and then, and then winning game seven was, uh, was one of the most amazing sports experiences. And to be 
in the you know with the general manager and and with the core group that put that team together to experience that was amazing the emotional roller coaster of those two games must yeah. have been insane in that box it was incredible <laughs> and you know when you have um an event like that obviously you have a lot of friends and family in town and you know there's a lot of emotion for uh for everybody but it was it was the one of the most intense experiences of my life and um but you know that's the beautiful thing about sports and baseball is you have to expect the unexpected and and i've seen that 14 years in the industry and I've seen a lot, but every day I still see something new. Your first three drafts in St. Louis produced 24 big league players more than any other mm -hmm. team during that period. Setting a pretty high bar for yourself, isn't it? Mm -hmm. uh, it is, but uh, I think that was our, our goal was to produce a lot of value for the big league club. And we wanted to uh, combine uh, what the best of what the scouts were bringing to the table to any of the new information that was out there and do it in a way a systematic way that eliminate a lot of the biases that are inherent in, in how players are selected. And, and we did it and it worked out very well. And being successful in the draft was an advantage for the Cardinals uh, through that entire period. Um, a lot of the advantage has dissipated for a lot of clubs because right now there are really good scouting departments across, across the industry that are, have great, scouts and also are using a lot of the additional information that only a subset of teams were using back then. Your success with the draft has moved over here in 2015. MILB.com tabbed the Astros as having the best farm system in the game. Given your history in scouting, given your history in St. Louis, how satisfying was that? It is because in order to have long-term success as an organization like the Cardinals that have had, you have to consistently produce a pipeline of players. And the easiest way to do that is to be successful in the draft and to have a successful international program and then to uh, to do a good job of developing the players that you have in our, your system. So uh, we've done that here and a lot of credit goes to the people that uh, were here and the people that I hired who are running those departments, uh, Mike Elias on the scouting side and um, uh, several people that have been involved in the farm system and, and Ozzo Campo on the international side. And Kevin Goldstein, our uh, head of pro scouting, all of these uh, executives have done a tremendous job in their areas, and it takes it takes all of us doing well for this thing to work. You're hired to be the Astros GM during the 2011 mm -hmm. winter meetings, literally moving from the Cardinals suite to right. the Astros suite within the same hotel, like you were a player being traded from one clubhouse to the other. What was that experience like? It was bizarre. It was also the same day Pujols signed with uh, Los Angeles. Um, you know, the, the interview came up suddenly, and, and the process was fairly quick over the course of a couple of weeks, and I didn't know... Uh, going into it that A, I was interested, or B, I would get the job. Uh, but after I met Jim Crane and uh, realized that his vision was exactly right for the way I thought I could help him, um, it, was, it was pretty quick when we came to an agreement. But it was a little bizarre to move from one suite to another at, at 10 o'clock at night, the night before the Rule 5 draft. And I ended up staying up till 2 or 3 in the morning with the Astros people going through the list for the Rule 5 draft. And uh, that was the year we took Marwin Gonzalez, who's still with us. So it was worth the effort staying up that late at night. Well, I assume you've been preparing for the Rule 5 draft with the Cardinals. So to a certain how extent, strange was that whole situation? Yeah, it wasn't. Um, I mean, Astros had first pick and the Cardinals didn't. So it was a little different. Uh, but um, I hadn't necessarily been involved in the Rule 5. I mean, Mo knew that I was interviewing. So I hadn't necessarily been involved in uh, the ins and outs of who the Cardinals were going to pick. Um, but it was... Uh, you know, I had to get up to speed pretty quickly once I got into the Houston suite. And to have that all happen on the day where the Cardinals 
iconic player yeah. signs elsewhere. It was a pretty crazy 24 hours. It was a crazy 24 <laughs> hours. And right after the Rule 5 draft, I got on a plane and flew to Houston and met the media. And um, it was definitely drinking from a fire hose, but I was, uh, I was happy to be doing it. How do you think your views or philosophies towards the game have changed since you first got into it in 2003 to now? I was uh, really listening a lot in 2003 and trying to understand everybody's perspective. And uh, there was seemed to be a, a divide between the traditions of the game and the people that had done things a certain way for a long time and some of the new ways of looking at at the game, the analytics, the, you know, the video, the, all the, all the new technologies that were starting to surround the game. Um, but I think what I realized fairly quickly is that, um, they're all, they can all work together. They're all complementary, and that you absolutely have to have the wisdom and experience of a scout who's been in the industry for 30 years and has seen players come and go. You have to have the wisdom and experience of a manager or hitting coach who's done this for a long time but at the same time you have to have the technology you have to have the analytics otherwise you're leaving your organization at a disadvantage so rather than quibble about who's got the most value to add i think it's a matter of putting the puzzle together with all the different pieces in a way that helps your organization and quite frankly every organization is different every organization has a different history and so the priorities are different where they are in their cycle is different um the resources are different. The markets are different. And so you can't judge what another team is doing without spending time there and knowing what their constraints are or what their strategy is. So you you just need to worry about yourself. And if you do that, it'll, it'll take care of it. So the idea that this team is an analytics team, this team is a team yeah. that relies on scouting, that doesn't really exist anymore. It doesn't. I think for a long time, just because the Yankees had a high payroll, people didn't think that they were using any sort of analytics. And that's just not true. I knew that. Um, you know, people, uh, some teams would, would boast about things they were doing. Um, other teams would not ever talk about it. And so you really can't tell unless you know someone from that organization or you hire someone that was from there and they'd tell you what it was like. Uh, but all teams, it's safe to say that all 30 teams use a blend of all the information available to them and they use it in a way that, that maximizes their strategy. Seems like maybe 10, 15, 20 years ago when, when analytics really first started mm -hmm. getting involved in the game, it was looked at as something small market teams sure. had to do. Yeah. But now, like you said, I mean, the Yankees have a, a big analytics right. department. Every, you know, the Cubs, the Red Sox, all these teams, uh, you know, the Red Sox employ Bill James for crying right. out loud. You know, right. it's, uh, right. it's no longer a small market thing. No, it's not. It's, it's, a, um, it's a part of doing business that's necessary. And if you don't, for example, if you didn't have any scouts, you'd be at a huge disadvantage. If you, at this point, if you don't have uh, analytic department, you're you're at a huge disadvantage. I think the Marlins installed theirs about a year ago, and I think they were the last team yeah. to have done so. So, you know, the fact that it's now league wide certainly right. shows the importance of it. Absolutely. Um, you you unlike a lot of baseball executives, you had a career beforehand. Sure. What executives from other areas? Uh, of, of industry have been big influence upon you in your career? I had three careers before I got to baseball. One was as an engineer, and that taught me to think uh, scientifically, think about life and, and, and outcomes and probabilities and all of the things um, that are important to a, a scientific approach to the world. Uh, after that, I went to business school and had a career as a management consultant, and that really taught me problem solving. Uh, as a management consultant, you work for big companies working on their most important problems. 
and you're usually having to get up to speed on their industry, on, on their situation. And so having to go up a learning curve quickly and try and add value and solve problems for people in their industry, that's a very challenging thing to do. And I did that for six years and that uh, helped me with my transition into baseball. My final uh, career was as an entrepreneur. And as an entrepreneur, you're starting with very little resources, you're building something from scratch, you're getting it funded, you're creating a business, you're hiring people. All of those skills helped me because I essentially started a business within the Cardinals of the analytic group and, and trying to integrate everything across player development and scouting. So, um, and, and the final piece was that I grew up internationally, so I speak Spanish and understand the culture. And in our game today, Latin America is such an important part of talent and, and development that uh, that has very much helped me. So, you know, I look back, even though I didn't intend to end up in baseball, all aspects of my life from childhood in Mexico to the three different careers I had uh, assisted me in very different ways and unique ways and allowed me to uh, have uh, more of a balanced perspective. Are there any executives from any of those other businesses that specifically influenced you through the years? I've met a lot of CEOs and, and board members um, and, and people that uh, started companies, um, you know, Guys like Jack Welch, who wrote books about uh, people management, I think that was probably one of the most influential um, people that, that I um, came across, uh, understanding that managing talent is one of the key success factors for any organization, whether it's you know GE or GM or, or the Cardinals or Astros. Um, if you hire the right people, we're a people business, if you hire the right people, uh, you might have the greatest ideas, but if you don't hire the right people to execute the vision, you're not going to get anything done. You were quoted in 2015 as saying, quote, you don't want to be stubborn. You want to accept new information and feedback. Do you think that's easier for you than it is for somebody who spent their entire life in a baseball culture? I do think so. Um, we tend to, as humans, have confirmation bias where we see information and if it agrees with what we believe, we accept the information. People do this in politics. People do this in, in all aspects of life. Um, because I was trained in a, in a different way as an engineer and then as a consultant, um, I, I, I tend to look for information that conflicts with my beliefs and at least give it a little bit of time to consider it. Uh, it's a hard thing to do over and over again because you do end up having a set of beliefs and then uh, it's human nature. But um, I, I do try and do it. I try and force myself to do it. And I try and surround myself with people that are going to challenge the conventional thinking, even if the conventional thinking is supposedly modern and advanced. I want people that will challenge it. And a lot of the people that I've learned the most from in this industry have been the lifelong, uh, you know, George Kissel, the, 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 one of the greatest player development coaches of all time. Um, a lot of the scouts that I knew in St. Louis that have been there a long time, a lot of the people here uh, at, in Houston um, that have been here a long time, um, that dialogue with them about why they do things the way they do. Sometimes I, I'm wrong and I don't appreciate their perspective and, and having that dialogue allows both of us to uh, get better. Your front office includes people that have worked everywhere from baseball perspectives mm -hmm. to NASA. Mm -hmm. How important was it for you to have people with so many different backgrounds in your front office? It's, it's important. Diversity is important. Not only um, ethnic diversity, racial diversity, gender diversity, but I think diversity of thought is super important. And we have, uh, we, we really check a lot of those boxes. I mean, Azo Campo is the, is, is Filipino. Um, he, he went to Georgetown, um, speaks Spanish, and he has a very unique way of thinking, um, but he's in the trenches in Dominican and Venezuela and um, is able to communicate with the players and the players' families. 
Uh, Mike Elias, uh, you know, is went to Yale and was a pitcher there. Um, he had a chance to go to law school. I convinced him not to and stay in baseball. You know, Sig worked at NASA. Um, Kevin Goldstein uh, was a writer. And uh, you combine all of these different individuals. Uh, Bill Furcus was, you know, an MBA um, who was working in the medical products area. Um, Brandon Taubman was an investment banker. I mean, all of our guys have different perspectives. The one thing that unifies all of us is that we all have a passion for baseball and we have a desire to win and, and do it in a way that's going to keep us successful for a long period of time. But the culture that we've tried to set is very much um, collaborative, collegial, but at the same time um, challenging each other. And if, if you don't agree with an idea, um, let's have the discussion. The facts are ultimately going to win the day, but go get your facts and let's have this discussion and let's compare facts and figure out what, what we think is the right answer. As I mentioned before, we've seen every team in baseball add an mm -hmm. analytics department to the front office at some mm -hmm. point in recent years. What do you think will be the next new wave as teams look to gain that next competitive advantage? I have some ideas, but unfortunately I can't share them <laughs> well, that makes sense. because that's part of the competitive advantage in, in our industry because it's a zero-sum game. Uh, there, there are things that are going to benefit the entire industry, and I think we're all uh, in collaboration on those types of things, like the World Baseball Classic, uh, having great facilities like all these spring training facilities, um, you know, having easier travel. All of those things benefit everybody. Um, but when, when a team discovers something that they think is a competitive advantage, their gain comes at someone else's expense. And so I think we all closely guard our secrets and, and the things that we're working on so that... Yeah, it doesn't become like the analytics revolution where teams, you know, five or six teams have a great advantage over a period of a decade, but then that advantage dissipates once everybody else catches up. So um, I, I think there's some natural areas that teams are going to all look into. Um, injury prevention is one that we're going to continue to struggle with as an industry, especially on the pitcher side. And if a team cracks the code on how to minimize injuries or reduce injuries, um, they're going to have a significant advantage. Now, ultimately, I hope that if a team does that, it is shared with the industry because that the injuries don't help anybody. But I do think that, um, you know, that the whole uh, notion of, of health and wellness, um, sleep, uh, rest, recovery, injury prevention, rehab um, is all stuff that is, is going to be a big frontier for, for baseball in general in the next 10 years. If you're enjoying this Mark Feinstein interview, make sure you check out all the great conversations featured in the MLB.com Newsmakers podcast. You'll hear Mark and other MLB.com reporters chat with baseball's brightest stars of today and the past, as well as the game's best broadcasters and writers. You can download MLB.com Newsmakers today on iTunes or wherever else you get your podcasts by searching Newsmakers. Now, back to Mark Feinsand. When I talked to Sandy Alderson this week, he said the Mets don't try to, don't spend a whole lot of time looking for the next big thing, mm -hmm. but rather trying to perfect their execution of the last mm -hmm. big thing. Mm -hmm. How do you look at that? Do you guys, are you guys trying to look for the next big thing or is it more a matter of trying to perfect the things that are already here? Uh, we're trying to do both. We really want to be um, excellent at, at executing our strategy. And like I said, our strategy is going to be different than the other 29 clubs because of where we are and, and who we are. Uh, but at the same time, I challenge all of our executives to think about what the world's going to look like five years from now. And as a result of that thought exercise, what can we be doing today to prepare ourselves for that world? Because you don't want to be the last one to jump on board if something's working. You want to be maybe not the first, 
but you want to be in that first group so you can take advantage of it. MLB StatCast has made some metrics more public to the baseball world over the past couple of years. How do you view them, and do you think that it's changed the way that fans and maybe even some clubs look at the game? I think it's great for the fans. I really do. I think there are some clubs that um, maybe hadn't quite gotten to that level that MLB provided that information to them, and whether or not they ended up using it, I don't know. You know, sometimes when you're among the first teams to discover something, you don't really want it shared industry-wide, and so there's been some consternation with some of this stuff, but... Um, I think as a, as a whole, it's benefited uh, the industry, and I think it certainly has made the game more interesting for a certain segment of our fans. I know, covering the Yankees for a long time, five, six years ago, Brian Cashman started talking about exit velocity, and we were like, we're yeah. talking about cash, and now all of a sudden everybody's talking about right. exit velocity. Right. So it seems like some of, the, some of the stats or metrics that are now maybe a little more mainstream, they've been around longer than people realize. They have, and there were teams that have been using... Um, that type of information for you know five or five or more years and those teams probably benefited by being able to acquire players that that they saw things in that other teams didn't quite appreciate you've had three managers here during mm-hmm. your tenure as gm how important is your relationship with your manager very important i've had five including the two interim managers right. three and, managers, and right. uh, but three uh permanent managers and that relationship between the general manager and the manager is is one of the most critical relationships in the organization and um, I've, I've enjoyed all five managers that I've worked with. Uh, for me and for the Astros, uh, uh, A.J. Hinch is the ideal manager right now for us because uh, he has so many capabilities. Not only has he he's got a lot of experience on uh, playing and, and coaching and managing, but he's also got a real appreciation for a lot of things that we're doing in the front office because he's been part of the front office. So, um, And he's just a, a, a great guy. We get along really well. And we challenge each other, and we keep each other honest. And I think it's uh, it really is for 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 me and us the ideal relationship. The Astros are a mid-level payroll team, so you might not be able to afford mm-hmm. a big mistake the way that right. a big contract the way that it seemed like the Yankees or Red Sox or Dodgers might. How much harder does that make it for you to make a big commitment financially to a player? It's trying to avoid um, a, a contract that you're going to regret is. Uh, is one of the most challenging things that any general manager has to do. And even if you have a big payroll, the last thing you want to do is look at that big number every year and say, gosh, I wish that wasn't there. Because really what that is, it's an opportunity cost. Those resources could have been dedicated somewhere else. So we all try it, whether we're small, small market or big market. Um, it, it, you know, for small market teams, one mistake can be a killer. For medium market teams, you, know, you can make some mistakes, but you really can't have that monster mistake sitting there. Um, and you know, fortunately, we've done a fairly good job of avoiding that but sometimes you just have to take a risk and go for it and and sign the player because that's what it takes to sign the player and um, so it's it's a constant challenge for all of us I think I remember reading somewhere you guys are going to win the World Series this year <laughs> uh, that's where Illustrated cover in 2014 put pressure good or bad on the organization I think it was a tongue-in-cheek um, discussion of, of how teams were trying to um, rebuild quickly and get to success quickly. And I think you look at what happened with the Cubs, they were able to accomplish it. Hopefully we're right behind them. Um, And when you have a good roster and when you have a good organization, expectations are going to be high. So we welcome it because with high expectations, it's an indication that you have a good team. Uh, Now, obviously we got to play the season and we got to see what happens, but I'd rather be in a position starting the year where expectations are high and people think we're going to win because that means we've got good players. You were very frank last year about your feelings on no trade clauses. Mm-hmm. 
you acquired Brian McCann, who has a full no trade, and you gave one to Carlos Beltran. Mm-hmm. Have your opinions on them changed, or is it simply the cost of doing business? Uh, it's, in this era? You know, it's never nece- it's never been a black and white thing for me. Again, it's a it's a middle market, small market thing. If you're going to sign a player with um, with a sizable contract in terms of years and dollars, if you don't have the flexibility to move that contract, you're you're putting your organization in a box. And uh, you know, Carlos Beltran was a one year deal, so it's the first no trade I've ever uh, given, and we traded for McCann, so we really didn't have a choice on that. Um, and in, you know, I'm still not going to hand them out unless it's absolutely necessary. Uh, but it's part of the negotiation. I mean, I certainly, I think it was misrepresented that I don't believe in them, that I don't think the players should have them because it's something you negotiate. And if they, if they get it negotiated in, then power to them. But, um, you know, I'm going to try and keep it out whenever possible. The other big trend, big contracts the last 15 years has been opt-outs. Where do you stand on those? Not a fan of opt-outs. Uh, I went to business school, and I understand how um, options are valued, as do the agents, um, and that's why they're including them in so many of these contracts. Um, I hope to never give an opt-out in a contract. I don't know if I'm going to be able to stand by that, but of course, like the players have the right to have an opt-out if they negotiate one. I'm not saying there's no that right doesn't exist, uh, but I don't think sometimes fans understand the uh, the value destruction for a club in an opt out because the opt out kicks in when you're in the in the blue in the red when it's bad for you that's when it kicks in right um, or that's when the player will choose to stay with you is when they're not going to get that in the free market so what it essentially does is it eliminates a lot of the upside for you in the contract um, and if the player is doing well and you did a good job of signing that player. And he leaves, you 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 miss out on those extra years that you could have had. Um, so, not a fan, but um, but totally appreciate the right to have them negotiate into the, their deals. With McCann and Beltran, they both spent the past few years with the Yankees. Aside from the obvious talents yeah. they bring to the field, what do you hope they bring to your clubhouse? Well, first of all, the Yankee culture is is terrific, and the way um, Brian and Joe have have created the environment there I think is is a model for a lot of clubs um, these two guys were teammates as we recruited uh, Beltran signing bringing McCann over was a big part of getting Beltran to accept coming over here um, and I think that uh, just what we've seen so far this spring you know yesterday was our first day off of the spring and Brian McCann instead of staying at home with his family came in here to watch Keiko throw off the mound with his son, um, that's a big signal that he's into this. You know, he spent all off season after he got traded learning our, our pitchers and talking to them. Uh, Carlos Beltran has taken players out to dinner, not just major league players, but minor league players, not just Latin players, but American players. Um, these two guys have been a tremendous uh, boost to uh, the environment in our, in our clubhouse, and I'm so glad they're here. What is Carlos Correa's ceiling? Or does he have I'm not sure. I, I don't like thinking about ceiling when it comes to guys like Carlos or, or George or, or Lance, right? guys that are young and still on their way up because um, these, these players are so talented and they've had so much success already in their careers. And I don't think it's fair to put limitations on them. They, you know, Carlos is one of the most athletic players in the game. He makes plays at shortstop that very few can make, and yet he's capable of hitting... Uh, double-digit home runs. He's capable of stealing double-digit bases. He's 
uh, capable of hitting for a high average. I mean, this guy's got a chance to be a really special player for a long time. And based on his age and experience, he also seems to have a very high level of confidence. He's always been confident. That's the first thing I noticed about him when I met him um, when, when, he, when he was in the draft. Um, and that uh, confidence is something that is huge in the game of baseball, and he definitely has it. Uh, how important is it for the Astros for Keuchel to rebound and, and find some of that 2015 form again? It's a big part of our season, I think. If Keuchel, um, I, we expect Keuchel to be a big part of our rotation and be pitching at the top of our rotation. It doesn't mean we can't win if that doesn't occur, because there's, you know, we've got a good farm system. We could make a trade. We've got other guys that could step up, but uh, certainly it makes our jobs a lot easier and makes our goals much more attainable if Dallas Keuchel. Uh, pitches the way we know he's capable of because he did it two years for us. Do you feel like right now you have a, an ideal mix of youth veterans with some of the guys you've brought in with McCann, Beltran, mm-hmm. Reddick, that, that it seems like it's a more well-rounded roster going into this season than you've had? I, I do think so, and even our guys are a little bit older now. Altuve's been in the league now for five, going on six years, and Marwin's been here for almost six years now. Um, so even our young group has now got more experience under their belt. They've all been to the playoffs once. They've been on different types of teams. Uh, certainly the veterans that we've added add to that. And But you want to be young enough where your team is athletic and good defense and can run a lot. And so it's, it's, uh, you know, the older your team gets, usually you're, you play a different style of baseball. So we're still able to play young, young man's baseball uh, but have uh, – the wisdom and experience of some of the veterans. What's it been like for you to watch Altuve blossom into this superstar over the past few years? The most striking thing is how every year you think that you've seen the best of Altuve, and yet he goes out and figures out a way to get even better. And, you know, whether it's stealing more bases, you know, winning the batting title, uh, starting to hit for more power, then hitting for more power again, um, learning to manage the strike zone a little bit better, and that resulting in career-high walks and therefore better hitches, pitches to hit and, and more power after that. I mean, this guy, uh, you know, there was one year where he felt his defense was slipping and he went out and won a gold glove. Um, he's one of the more dedicated, hardworking players in the in the industry, and, and he's he's benefiting as a result of that. What kind of player do you expect Ilyaski Gurriel to be? You know, coming over from Cuba, he has always had a tremendous amount of success on the international stage, and in the Cuban League, I do think he's going to be a – um, a high average hitter who's going to hit a lot of doubles, have double digit home run power, and play uh, very good defense at first or third or wherever he's asked to play. Um, he does make good decisions. He has good ball to bat skills, and he drives the ball on a line drive a lot. And I think he's going to come up with a lot of key hits for us over the next few years. What did it mean to you to get the Astros back to the postseason for the first time in a decade? was huge. We were hoping to uh, be a good team that year and maybe be 500 and compete for the wild card, but to to win the wild card and, and take Kansas City to five, who ultimately won the World Series, um, was it, it, it woke up our fan base. And I think um, we, we knew we were capable of it. Maybe we were expecting it the year after, um, but it was uh, it was important because Houston is a great sports town and it's been a long time since the 0405 years when Houston was one of the best teams in baseball. Um, and I think that uh, now our fans are reacting. They're excited. They're coming to the games. They're expecting to see a good product. And, and they're really um, happy that we have good players, good players that they can connect with, like Coran Springer and Altuve and Keiko. What's been your best moment as GM? I, I'd have to say uh, 
winning that wildcard game in New York and the, the feeling of satisfaction knowing that we were going to go on in the playoffs and just being so happy for AJ and, and the players and all the hard work that our staff has put in. But uh, hopefully that answer changes next year. Worst moment? I, I would say the summer of uh, 2014 when um, we had a, uh, several things happen that summer that were um, not good for public relations reasons. We were coming off of a bad year. Um, there's a lot of stories that, that weren't flattering. And um, anytime you're going through a transition like this, there's going to be a period where you feel like, okay, it's been long enough. We've been losing long enough. We've had enough bad news. When's the good news going to start? And that was probably uh, the low point. But fortunately, Jim and I both had the same attitude that let's just keep working towards our goal. When we start winning, all this stuff's going to turn around. And, and it happened. How emotional was it for you last year when you guys had that two-game exhibition series in Mexico City? It's great. Whenever you can go back to your hometown, I invited uh, people from my high school. There were about uh, 20 or 30 of my classmates, and we're all getting to be 50 years old now, so it's been a while since we were in school together. But to have them all come out and celebrate this um, and to play in Mexico City, I visited my, my brother and my dad lived there, and I visited them, and um, it was just a, uh, really a, a dream country. I never thought I would be a, a GM of a baseball team playing in my hometown. With the season a couple of weeks or a few weeks away still, what would you say right now is the Astros' biggest strength and biggest question mark? Our biggest strength is our lineup and, and the balance of the lineup and the depth of the lineup. Uh, biggest question mark is, is always going to be uh, health and stability of the pitching staff. I do believe we've got the arms to, to win a division and, and win a championship. Uh, but exactly who's going to pitch where and how well they're going to pitch and hopefully how much they're going to pitch. I mean, those questions still need to be uh, answered, but I, I think we're in a really good spot. Thank you.